In Matthew chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 16, Scripture reads like this. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Is God trustworthy? Trustworthy enough that you can build your faith on him? Are the prophecies about the coming Messiah fulfilled in Jesus? Well, welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. And in today's episode, we begin a series called Jesus at the Center of Christmas. The message is titled Predicted by Prophecy. We'll examine a few prophecies about the coming Messiah, how Jesus fulfills them, and how they prove God is trustworthy. Here's Senior Pastor Brian Jones. Well, good to see you. On uh, August, I shared that uh, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to spend the entire year in this Jesus at the Center series. And so uh, we spent the first series, Jesus at the Center of the Church, and we looked at the churches in Revelation. We just finished up with uh, Jesus at the Center of the Prayer, uh, and we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. And today we are kicking off a new series, Jesus at the Center of Christmas. Now, isn't it crazy Christmas is here? You guys excited? Some of you, well, I saw this meme, and uh, I figured it would uh, show us who's in the room. You seen this? <laughs> there are two types of people in November. So how many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you, when the clock hits midnight on October 31st, you're in Christmas spirit, you're putting stuff out, you are celebrating, singing songs with that kind of energy right there? All right, may God have mercy on all of your souls right there. <laughs> now, how many of you, you're like, you know, we don't celebrate Christmas, we don't put up a tree, we don't do anything till Thanksgiving is over. How many of you are like that? I don't know what you're clapping about, it just shows that you hate life, so. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, wherever you are on your Christmas spirit journey, I just want you to know that I am excited to kick off this series that we have. Before we do that, I want to give you some updates, some things that uh, will be important, some details. First, every year if you've been at Brookwood for a while, you know that we bring the recommended trustees that the church has recommended to you guys uh, to vote on. If you're brand new, uh, the trustees are the folks who help lead our church. They help guide our church. They support our church. They pray for our church. They're involved in a lot of the business matters when it comes to church. Uh, if you've been around, we do a ministry plan that's sort of our strategy and our budget preparations, and so they're very involved in that. And so the church recommends uh, those trustees, and then we bring it to the church to vote on. And so I want to show you these are the trustee nominees for 2024. We have Don Carter, uh, Betty Zeller, Mike Clark, Robert Dennis, Jason Bergeron and Carl Krauth. And again, they work with uh, me, they work with the pastors, and they really pray and support our church. They help with, again, business matters. And so uh, one of the things we do is we bring this to the church. So uh, if you would, if you approve the recommendation of these trustees to step in the role of trustee this year, would you do me a favor? Would you just raise your hand as a sign that you approve that? Okay, that is majority. And so what I'd love to do as well, is could you just do me a favor? Uh, I know for a lot of you this is just business and it's formal, but I, these folks, I got to know them over the last year, year and a half, and they do so many things for the church behind the scenes. 
And so we've been in meetings about air conditioning units all the way down to policies and process, and many of the things they do is not noticed. So would you just join me in thanking our trustees that serve our church so faithfully that... uh, So really, really grateful for that. And so I'm very proud of our trustees. I also want you to know that I'm proud of, of you guys as a church too. In fact, uh, one of the things that was really encouraging that I wanted to bring to you, do you know in August 1st, we were just meeting as a, a pastoral team. In August 1st, we had 1,058 people who were in small groups. And then this last series, we, we brought this to you guys, and we encouraged you that really God has called us not just to attend on Sundays, but to have a community of people that could link arms. In fact, I say this to a lot of people, if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Because the, f- the friends that you have will either bring you straight up or straight down. And so I think it is so imperative for us to have a biblical community of people. And I know that takes a little bit of courage to step into a group. And so I just wanted to encourage you with this. They told me uh, last week that we, as of last week, had 1,478 people in groups. Isn't that amazing? 1,478 people that are in groups as a result of that. And so... Uh, I know for many of you that took some courage to jump into a group, but that's 40% increase in a few months, which is absolutely amazing. In addition to that, one of the things that I was also encouraged by, and I know these can just feel like stats, but they were deeply encouraging me because behind these stats is actually reality. That at the, the beginning of this prayer series, we ask you how confident and comfortable you were in your relationship with God, how comfortable you were with prayer. And so that number... Uh, we just gave you a 1 out of 10, and that number we, we sent uh, to you guys in an email. You guys answered that. That number that came back at the start of this series was a 6.3. Uh, at the end of this series, we sent that same email, and I was so encouraged that people went from a 6.3 to a 7.8 in their comfortability with God, which I think is just amazing. And so, uh, yeah. And the reason I think this is so important, let me just say this. I think the American church suffers from what I've just referred to as a secondhand Jesus problem. What I mean by that is that so often we get so used to people just coming and hearing from a pastor or hearing a sermon that we forget the God of the universe wants to speak to you each and every day, wherever you are, in your room, at your workplace. And I don't want us to ever take that for granted. The most important thing in your life is your relationship with God. Amen? And the fact that the God of the universe who's running the galaxies, the moon and the stars is also interested in you, I just, I don't want us to ever get used to that. And so I just sense God is awakening you to that. And I sense one of the reasons there's so much hunger in our church is because if you ate one meal a week, you'd be pretty famished. The same way, if you come to church and that is the only time you're spending with God, you're going to constantly be in sort of a depleted place. And so the invitation is for each and every day you to wake up be fueled up so that when we show up on Sunday, our spirits, our energy are encouraged in new and fresh ways. From this series, I had hundreds of people uh, just send in little uh, statements of how God has used this series. I just wanted to give you a couple to encourage you. This is what someone said uh, after this series. I'm intentionally now sitting in my living room with Jesus. My Bible, study guide, a cup of coffee, which is a necessity, and I pray And I'm writing down several things that I am grateful for. I'm sitting and resting and asking to hear from God. I love this. I want more than anything to have Jesus at the center of my life. Isn't that amazing? Just love that. You're going to clap, clap, folks. I love it. Remember, the quicker you clap, the quicker you get out of here. How about this one? I just love it. Simple. I'm bolder when praying with others these days. How about this one? 
I used to think of prayer as rigorous and formal. This series has been instrumental and transformative for me in viewing and using prayer as a method to continue fostering a relationship with my Father, both talking and listening. So I want to encourage you. I really believe God wants to speak to each and every one of you. And the reason I showed you this is that one of the things we've done to make that helpful and possible is that uh, I and several other pastors, after every sermon, we write devotionals. Before every sermon, we write devotionals that go along with the sermon that we preached. And so on the way out, you can grab this uh, month's devotional. It is Jesus at the Center of Christmas. Uh, As always, you can get that online. But I want to encourage you to follow along with this because I think it's a really, really helpful tool for you and from God. Also, I'm not going to stop down on this, but in your programs, if you do something, just take that out. You'll see on one side of the program is a whole thing on the Lord's Prayer. I wanted to give you this after we taught on the Lord's Prayer. I'm not going to stop down on this because this is a whole lot of words on the screen. Don't be stressed about this. But what I wanted you to see is I didn't want to just teach for two months on the Lord's Prayer and then just have some people agree with the Lord's Prayer and not know what to do with it. And so one of the things that transformed my prayer life is what I'm giving you in this program. As I read a devotional and spend time with God, these are the questions from the Lord's Prayer that I just ask myself each and every morning. Transform my prayer life. I used to be able to only sit for maybe five to seven minutes. But the problem is if you don't have a game plan, it's, it's difficult to pray sometimes. So think about this like a, tra- like a tracks for the train. So the first question that I'll ask myself after I read is, what do you want to say to me today as my father? And these go on and on. And they all come from the Lord's Prayer. And so I hope that will be a helpful tool for you as you continue to pray and spend time with God. I wanted to make you aware of that. Now today, as we kick off again this series, Jesus at the Center of Prayer, I was thinking about a moment that I had about a year ago. It's actually about this time a year ago. I was getting ready to go on a walk. And I told the girls, told my wife, told my son, hey, I'm going to go on a walk for a little bit. And uh, my sweet girl said, Dad, can we come? And I said, uh, let me go on a walk and then I'll come back. Let me spend a little alone time because uh, it's very hard to spend alone time when you have four-year-old girls running around. And so I said, let me go on a walk and then I'll come back. The truth is I was gone for 30, 40 minutes. Totally forgot that I had promised them that. But they had not forgotten. In fact, as I started to make my way to the house, I saw them just looking through the window, looking for me. And then when I made my way to the sidewalk, They ran out, they kicked open the door, and I had to take this picture. Uh, Look at this. This was my girls right after. you got to love their their dress attire there. Um, You might think we lived in Colorado at that time. Um, We actually lived in Texas, and it was 65 degrees. But uh, we're soft. What can we say? But as soon as I snapped this picture, I started walking. And I'll never forget, God used this moment to teach me something. As soon as I was walking, God just asked me this question. When I talk about God speaking, for me, it's never an audible thing. What I mean by that is like the Holy Spirit will just bring a thought to my mind. And this is what he sort of put in my mind as I was getting ready to walk. He said, your girls trust their father. Do you trust yours? Do you trust me? And the truth is sometimes when God gives me something in the spirit and he tells me something's going to happen, when it doesn't happen in an allotted time, there's a part of me that just begins to question, is it going to happen? And there's a, there's a part of me that when I pray a promise of God, the Bible is filled with promises that God asks us to pray and take to the bank. But if you're anything like me, sometimes when I pray those prayers and it doesn't seem like anything's happening, I begin to struggle to trust the word of my heavenly father. 
And what I believe God is doing in my life and what I sense He is doing in our church is He is increasing our trust in Him. That what He has said to you in His Spirit, that He will be faithful to do. Amen? That what He has said to you in His Word, if He said it, then He's going to do it. Amen? That what he said to you as a promise in the word of God, even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, even when it doesn't look like he's doing anything, that he is faithful to do it. Amen? And that's what I believe God's doing because a lot of us believe in God, but the question is not do you believe in God, do you really believe he's trustworthy? Those are fundamentally two different things. Because I will follow God at a distance if I don't believe he is trustworthy. And so oftentimes when we talk about this, people struggle with God. And some of you, as as I say this, you go, that's great. I love that you say we can trust in God. But some of you go, how do I know that? Like, what are the evidence that I can have? How can you prove that God can really be trustworthy? What are some clues that you can give when it comes to this? Now, the thing that I want to say right off the bat is God understands there are skeptics among us. See, the truth is all of us need some kind of proof when it comes to the trustworthiness of God, and some of us need a lot of proof. But what I want you to get right off the bat is I think God is in the habit of meeting people exactly where they are. I think God loves to meet people exactly where they are. Some of you are on fire for God. Some of you are are drawing deeper towards God than you ever have before. And can I just encourage you, I believe what he wants to do is take you deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Where you are right now, I don't think he's satisfied with. I think he wants to give you more vision, more power. I think he wants to awaken your spirit to his spirit in new and fresh ways because I believe God loves meeting people where they are. But some of you, as we're in here, you, you love Jesus, but you're probably just in a dry spot. Life has been really busy, and even as you sit in this room, you find that while your body is in this room, your mind is racing and in a different place. And what I want to say to you is God wants to meet you where you are. And what I believe he wants to do, even this morning, is he wants you to get your eyes off of the circumstances, and he wants you to see that he is trustworthy. He wants to fill you anew. He wants to awaken you so that you believe, really believe in the core of your being and not just in an intellectual kind of way, that if you have Jesus, you have everything. And there are some of you that honestly, you're in this place right now and life has knocked the wind out of you. I know what it's like to be in a service where you smile on the outside, but on the inside, you are carrying some weight, some burden, some pain. And some of you, all you could do was Get yourself to this church, and the thought of running after Jesus and doing a bunch of stuff is the last thing on your mind. Let me encourage you this morning that what God wants to do is he wants to come alongside of you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to build you up. And that thing that the enemy intended for evil, I believe God, if you stay the course, he will use that thing for good. Amen? I believe what God will do is he will take that thing. This is what he's done with the cross. Think about this. God took an instrument of evil, pain, and suffering, and he made it the greatest hope of humanity. If he can do that with that, then whatever it is that you are facing, what I want you to know is God wants to meet you where you are right now, and he wants to breathe life and hope and power and encouragement. I I believe God loves meeting people where they are, amen? And I believe he's trustworthy. And what I want you to see is that you don't just have to have blind faith when it comes to following God. That there are actually clues and there is evidence, there are things we can build our life around. And one of the things that I want to show you today that increases our trustworthiness is a subject we don't often talk about. But it's the subject called prophecy. And some of you go, 
What is prophecy? Well, prophecy is the Old Testament promises or scriptures that are fulfilled in the New Testament by the coming of Jesus as the Messiah. Now, if you have your Bibles, you will note that there is an Old Testament and there's a New Testament and there's a gap. But did you know that there's over 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament? So what I mean by that is when there are prophecies or promises that are given in the Old Testament, it's at least 400 years before those prophecies are fulfilled. And what's interesting is there are 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of Jesus the Messiah. What's what's really unique when you start to study is this, is there have been 40 people in human history, 40 people who have claimed to be the Jewish Messiah. But only one, Jesus of Nazareth, actually backs those claims up. Only one fulfills those claims. And if you like reading, there's a book by Peter Stoner, uh, Science Speaks, and it speaks all about these prophecies. And this is what he says. He says the likelihood of just eight of these 300 prophecies in the Old Testament happening is this number that is right behind me. You'll see it right here, this number right here. That is the likelihood of just eight of 300 prophecies happening. Now, just to sort of put this in a picture, the same odds, he says, in this book, Science Speaks, the same odds of someone fulfilling eight out of 300 prophecies would be the same odds of you going to Texas, taking the entire state of Texas, filling it knee-deep with coins, taking one coin, marking that coin, throwing that coin and all the other coins in the state of Texas, mixing all of those coins up, blindfolding someone, and releasing them to pick out a single coin in the state of Texas. He says that is the odds, the same odds of someone just fulfilling eight out of these 300 prophecies. The point that I want you to see is that when you actually slow down and study the prophecies of Jesus coming and his birth, what you see is it's not just blind faith. There is a firm foundation. And here's what I want you to get right off the bat. If your father, your heavenly father has said something in the spirit, He is faithful to fulfill those things. If he has said something in his word, he is faithful. Even when you take the claims that people have, because some people as you say this and you start speaking scientifically, they'll say things like, yeah, that's great, but also maybe people just wrote these prophecies down after Jesus was born. The problem is almost every argument you make can be debunked because even with that argument, there are things like the Dead Sea Scrolls and other documents that have been found that show the Old Testament's reliability several hundred years before Jesus was ever born. And the point that I'm just trying to simply make to you again is that whatever your heavenly Father has said to you in the Spirit and whatever you're not seeing right now and you're struggling to believe, He is faithful, faithful, faithful. Whatever promises you are reading, I am praying that when you read the Bible, it will not be history, it will be reality. I'm praying that as you read the Bible that God would awaken you to these promises that he wants you to cash each and every day so that it doesn't become stale or boring in your faith. I'm praying that God would awaken you to this. Now, there's no way I can possibly go through all 300 of these prophecies. I just want to give you a couple prophecies this morning to show how trustworthy God is. One of the Old Testament prophecies we're going to look at this morning actually speaks about the expected ancestry or the expected family tree of Jesus. And this is what it says. It actually, this prophecy predicts the family lineage that Jesus would come through. And it says this in Genesis 18. For Abraham will become a great and a mighty nation, 
and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. So notice this, Abraham will become a great and a mighty nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. There are two promises that are given here. First, that Abraham will have many descendants. So the first promise is Abraham will have many descendants. The second promise is this. Notice it says all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is a sign of the coming of the future Messiah. Because not only is Abraham going to have all these descendants, one of them is going to be the Messiah who's going to bless all the people. Now, Genesis 18, there's a major problem with this first promise in Genesis 18. First of all, in Genesis 18, do you know how old Abraham is? Anybody know? He is a hundred years old. Do you know how old his wife Sarah is? Ninety years old. Do you know what you're not thinking about at a hundred years old and ninety years old? You're not thinking about children. You know what you're thinking about at a hundred years old? You're thinking about naps. You're thinking about four o'clock dinner at the Crackle Barrel, all right? You are thinking about 5.30 and insure before you get ready for bed. You're not thinking about children. And yet, this is what happens in this particular story. God says, I'm going to do something miraculous. When you slow down and just look at Genesis 18, that's miraculous in itself. God looks at a 100-year-old person. He says, I'm going to do something great. I'm going to give you many descendants, and from your descendants, the Messiah is going to come. The likelihood of even that first thing happening is almost impossible. And then what's crazy about this is all of a sudden, Abraham does something which normally is a brilliant idea, but in this case, it's a terrible idea. He listens to his wife because his wife says, hey, you know what? God has promised us a child, but you're not getting any younger. I'm not getting any younger, and maybe we need to help out God. And so she says, here's something I want you to do. I want you to sleep with my servant, Hagar. And because Abraham's the guy, he goes, okay. <laughs> and all the women said, that was a test. You failed. <laughs> I just want you to know, we have great marriage counseling resources. Gene Beckner right there. But you think about it. God promises something that is so unlikely that naturally, Abraham and Sarah go, I don't see how this is possible. And then Abraham and Sarah supernaturally give birth to a child. God does something incredible, and Isaac is born. Of course, there's another child from Hagar that is Ishmael, and that has generations of fighting. But the promised child we read in Genesis 21 is supposed to be Isaac. And this is what it says about Isaac. Genesis 21, 12 says this, but God told Abraham, Isaac is the son through whom my promise will be fulfilled. So think about this. Genesis 18 is fulfilled with these descendants, with Isaac, and then Jacob is born. And listen to what it says once Jacob is born. It says this in Numbers 24, 17. This is an amazing verse. We could spend all day in this verse. Listen to this. I see him, but not in the present time. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. Notice this. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. Now, what is fascinating about this, do you know what a scepter represents? 
represents a king. Do you know what Israel does not have? A king. So not only is God talking about the expected ancestry that Jesus will come through, he does something to one-up it, and he says, hey, the family line will come from a king. No one thought there was going to be a king. In fact, there is a thousand years that go by before there is a king after this verse. A thousand years. King Saul is the first king. And Jesus is going, God's going, hey, I want to just sort of up the standard here because I want you to know how trustworthy I am. A thousand years from now, there will be a king. And listen to what it speaks about. In fact, you go 12 generations after this, David is born. So 12 generations we see uh, Jacob is born. And here, after, I'm sorry, 12 generations from Jacob, you have David. And listen to what it says when he comes to rule in Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will place a righteous descendant on King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do his, what is just and right throughout the land. And this is his name. The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. So how many of you, just out of curiosity, if you're anything like me, I don't know many people that just go, you know what, I'm in Matthew chapter 1. Today is the day I get to study the genealogies of Jesus. Like most people don't say that. But what I want you to see, the reason we chose this scripture to be read this morning is I want you to keep this in mind that what we just read was a prophecy that was given thousands of years ago and shows how trustworthy God is. That in Genesis 18, before any of this even seemed possible, he gave this expected family tree that Jesus would come through this lineage. And with that in mind, listen to a verse that most of us skip over with fresh eyes today. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of King David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Listen to verse 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. See, again, what I want you to see is whatever the Spirit of God has spoken to you, you can trust your Heavenly Father. Whatever promises you read about in the Bible, you can trust that God is trustworthy. And so the first thing you saw from this prophecy is that there is expected ancestry or expected family tree. But also, some of these prophecies speak to the extraordinary conception or the extraordinary birth. And so they speak specifically how Jesus will be born, that there is going to be an extraordinary conception. In fact, right after Adam and Eve sin, right after they rebel against God, this is what God says to Satan in Genesis 3.15. He says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Notice this, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. A lot of people skim through this because it seems quite intimidating and they don't know quite what's going on. But notice God is speaking to Satan here. And what he's saying is you have struck the heel. You have, you have caused them to rebel against me. But what he's doing, this is the first promise you see in the scriptures of God promising rescue for his people. This is the first thing that we see, the first promise. In the first three chapters, God is already on a rescue mission for his people who are far from him. Because he says, hey, you struck the heel, but 
I'm going to strike the head. And what he's basically referring to is the cross, the cross that would set us free. And so this is a prophecy, but notice this. There's something that you can miss that is so small, but it is significant. Notice in Genesis 3.15, it says her offspring. What's interesting is every time in the Bible it speaks about a seed or an offspring, every time but this time, it uses the term his offspring, except for this one time. Why? Because this is showing that Jesus would have this extraordinary conception. There would be an extraordinary birth that he would be born of a virgin. In fact, if this is sort of vague, in Isaiah 7.14, it spells it out very clearly. It's not on the screen behind you, but I encourage you to just jot it down in your notes. Isaiah 14 says this, this will be a sign to you. You will find a child wrapped in cloths, and he will be born of a virgin, and he shall be called Emmanuel. This is a prophecy that is given hundreds of years before Jesus is born, predicting a virgin birth which is quite particular and extreme, and yet listen to what it says in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the right time finally came, God sent his own son. He came as the son of a human mother, and he lived under the Jewish law. In fact, listen to what it goes on to say in Matthew 1.18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, But while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now, I just want to say this. Theologically, it's important because a lot of people will go like, why did there have to be a virgin birth? Couldn't he just, you know, come down as a baby? Why did there have to be an actual woman involved? Why did there have to be a human birth? And this is incredibly important. It might sound heady, but it's really, really important. Is that only as a human could Jesus step into our place? So what you see about Jesus is he is fully God and he is fully human. And if you take away one, you rob the complete sacrifice of Jesus. Because only as a human could he experience what we experienced. Could he suffer like we suffered. That's why Hebrews speaks about you don't have a great high priest. This is referring to Jesus who is unable to sympathize with your weakness. Yet he has been tempted every way just as we are yet was without sin. So what that means is all the other religions out there, think about this, all the other religions speak about a God who is somewhere out there waiting to be found. The beauty of Christmas is that there is a God who comes to find us. All the religions will tell you there's a God out there. In fact, a couple years ago I was, I was uh, doing an Uber and I was, I was getting dropped off somewhere and, and my driver just asked me what I did. That's always a fun thing when people just say, hey, what do you do? They always retrace their last four or five minutes of conversation. And this guy said to me, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to swear. I said, no, 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 it's fine. And then he said this. He said, so you're religious? I said, yes, I am. He said, well, I'm a Muslim. And I said, well, tell me about that. And for the next 10 minutes, there was a quivering in his voice as he tried to tell me why he thinks he's done enough to get into heaven. And at the end of it, I just said, how do you know, man? I said, because I know I'm not good enough on my own. All other religions will point to some God that says, if you do these things, if you pray this way, if you engage in this thing, the only religion that is different is Christianity because it's not a God who's out there waiting to be found. It's a God who's come to find you. This is the gift of the Christmas story. And you think about this. He comes in the form of a baby 
humble, but also showing that he is with us, he identifies with us, so that we can't go, God, you have no idea what I'm going through. You don't know the pain I'm going through. You don't know what I'm suffering. So Jesus would be able to empathize and walk with you. And some of you, as I mentioned this morning, life has knocked the wind out of you, and you need to be reminded the most central promise in the Bible is this, God is with you. He's with you. As soon as you leave this church, as soon as you get in this car, when you lay your head down on that pillow at night and you feel like things, is ho- things are hopeless, God is with you. But you also need a virgin birth because the virgin birth doesn't just show his humanity, it shows his deity, that he was fully God. And only as God would his sacrifice be complete. And because he was fully God, he can forgive every one of your sins. And the reason you can know you're forgiven is because he was perfect and he paid the perfect sacrifice. And here's the gift of the cross. You give Jesus all your sin, and because of his deity, he gives you all of his righteousness. Show me a greater Christmas present on planet earth. He takes all of your sin upon himself, and he gives you all of his righteousness. And this is what's prophesied in the Old Testament. This virgin birth is just one of the 300 prophecies that are given. And why do I tell you this? Plain and simple, I want you to know that you have a heavenly Father, that what he has said to you in the Spirit, he is faithful. Even if you haven't seen it, even if you're waiting, even if you don't have hope, he is trustworthy this morning. And the final thing I want to show you is simply this. I want to show you that not only can you trust him that in the midst of this, but there is an exact place of his birth. There is an exact place of his birth. And so let me show you this from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It says this. But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village in Judah, yet a ruler of Israel will come from you one whose origins are from the distant past. Now, I've only been in uh, South Carolina for a little under a year, so just out of curiosity, I asked the first service this, and they gave a very specific answer. But are there any places in South Carolina that people don't really like? What are they? You just whispered Columbia. (laughs) Which is funny. Someone else didn't whisper it in the last service. They shouted with an amen and a hallelujah. And so, in fact, somebody said, uh, as I asked them before this, I said, are there any places that people don't like? And they said, quote, unquote, yes, it's Columbia. It is the armpit of South Carolina. (laughs) Now, you ever slow down and think about this? Jesus, the Messiah, he's born, and he doesn't come to a big bustling city. He doesn't come to a place like Atlanta or Charlotte or Greenville. He doesn't come to Chicago or Dallas. He comes to Bethlehem. In fact, listen to what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Here's the point. If God is going to speak about a baby being born in Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph probably aren't going to just stroll into Bethlehem. There has to be a reason they go to Bethlehem because Bethlehem was such such an obscure town that people weren't necessarily dying to go to Bethlehem. So you think about this in Micah chapter 5, because we don't know culture and history. It's like God is getting so, so specific and he's saying, hey, I'm going to take the Savior of the world. He's going to be born a virgin and I'm going to take him to the most unlikely place, Bethlehem. And how in the world is God going to get Mary and Joseph from where they are to Bethlehem? Well, listen to what it says in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. 
At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the entire Roman Empire. All returned to their own towns to register for this census. Now, where was Joseph's hometown? It was in Bethlehem. It was in Columbia. (laughs) And so what does he do? He goes to Bethlehem. In fact, listen to what it says in Luke chapter 2, verses 4 and 6. Joseph went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to the town of Bethlehem, Judea, the birthplace of King David. Joseph went there because he was a descendant of David. He went to register with Mary, who was promised in marriage to him. She was pregnant, and while they were in Bethlehem, the time came for her to have a baby. You think about this. Arguably, one of the most powerful men in all of human history was Augustus Caesar. So Augustus Caesar issues this decree because he wants to show the world how big his empire is. And so he has people take this census, which is just another way of getting the amount of people in the Roman Empire. Little does he know that the only reason he was doing this is because he was upon in the great king's story, God, and that ultimately God was going to take him to get Mary and Joseph to this little place called Bethlehem. I mean, the likelihood of even these three prophecies happening are just extraordinary. There are over 300 prophecies that when you look, they are fulfilled to the T in Jesus. And so what I want to encourage you is just like my girls, as I mentioned to you, trust their earthly father. My question for you is not do you love God, not even do you know God. This morning, do you really trust him with what it is that you're walking? It's one thing to talk about God. It's another thing to believe in your heart and not have a conceptual understanding. It's another thing to believe in your heart that what God has said in your life, he is faithful to do that. So I ask you this simple question. Do you trust him this morning? Do you trust him with everything you have? Because what God is calling people to do is not just have a concept of him. This Christmas, he's calling you to build your life on the firm foundation, which is Jesus. So can I just encourage you this morning that whatever it is that you are facing, in fact, what I want to do as we close is I just want to read a couple promises over you. These are promises. So if you're in one of these categories, here's what I want to do before I wrap up. If you're in one of these categories, what I want you to do is just raise your hand because I want to speak a promise over you. So if you're in this place and you've got some uncertainty, you've got to make a decision, there's something with your kids, there's something with your job, there's something with health. If you have some uncertainty in your life and you need God to speak very clearly to you, would you do something? Just raise your hand. Keep it held up. Okay. Keep your hand up. If you're in this spot right now and you just are walking through a painful season, you have some difficulty, there is some pain in your life, would you just raise your hand? Okay. If you're in this spot where you know that God is calling you, And he is calling you to a deeper faith than he ever has before. If God is drawing you in and he's wanting more from you, if you just raise your hand, okay? By the end of it, I expect a lot of hands will be up here. What about this, boldness? How many of you God is calling boldness? He's calling you to have a faith and a trust in him. And how many of you would say, hey, you know what? I've got some fear in my life. There's some uncertainty that I'm navigating. There's something with my kid. There's something with my health. There is something that as I sit here, I am in this room, but there is just a fear, a worry, anxiety that as soon as I get home and as soon as it gets quiet in my house, fear takes over my mind. Anybody have that right there? Okay, every one of you raise your hand. I just want to give you these promises. I'm just going to read one of them. In your program, there is just a little bit of a guide that will give you these promises and more. And let me just read these over you. And this is what I want to encourage you. If God said it, he will do it. 
In fact, let me just encourage you again. If God said he would do it in your life, he will do it. Amen? If God said it in his word, he will do it. Amen? If God said it, he will do it. If God said it, he will do it. If God said it, he will do it. I don't know if you believe it. If God said it, he will do it this morning. Amen. Amen. Here's what I want you to do, just because I'm not convinced some of you are just staring at me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn the person next to you and say, if God said it, he's going to do it. All right, turn to the person, the other person and say, if God said it, he's going to do it. All right, you ready? Now let me just read these over you and encourage you that if God has said it in his word, he is faithful to do it. For those of you who are just facing some uncertainty, And while you're in this room, you feel a spirit of confidence. But as soon as you get out, you know some decisions need to be made. Let me just read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 over you. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. And he might show you which path to take. Amen. He will show you what path to take. He's faithful. Whatever he said, he will do. Whatever you are navigating, bring that to him. He'll be faithful. For those of you who are brokenhearted, you sit in this room and it feels like life has knocked the wind out of you this morning. Let me just encourage you. God is near to the brokenhearted. In fact, listen to what it says in Psalms 34, 18. The Lord is close. He is close to the brokenhearted. And notice this. It's not that he might rescue. It's not if he rescues you. It's not when he rescues you. He will rescue those whose spirits are crushed. That is a promise. That if your spirit is heavy, he will rescue you and he will fill you with his power, his hope. Those of you who want a deeper faith and you're wondering, is your faith really going to grow all that much? And you have some things in your life that you wonder if you can get past. Let me just encourage you with this. It's a longer promise. But I love this. Matthew 7 says, keep on asking, you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. goes on to say this. Your parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do not give them a stone instead. Or if they ask for a fish, do not give them a steak. Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your heavenly Father Give good gifts to those who ask him. For those of you in this room who you're just asking for God to increase your boldness. Because for so many people, at least for me, it was like this. For years, it's easy to be bold when you're in a room surrounded by people. But what happens when Monday comes? What happens when Tuesday comes? And some of you, you just have dismissed yourself because you think, you know what? I'm introverted. I I don't know enough about the Bible. But let me just say this. Moses said the same thing. In fact, God tapped Moses on the shoulder and he goes, hey, I'm not a good speaker. Take my brother Aaron. You know what God says? He says, is it not I who give men mouths? Is it not I who make men death or mute? Now you go and I will give you the power to speak. What I believe is that God is going to give some people some boldness, not before you take a step of faith, not after you take a step of faith, but once you take a step of faith. You remember the waters for the Israelites, they didn't part until they took a step of faith. And so as you take a step, let me just encourage you, Luke chapter 12, verse 12, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time, at that exact time, what needs to be said. For those of you who are carrying some fear, and as you lay your head at pillow and, on your pillow at night and it seems like fear takes over, let me give you a verse that I have repeated hundreds of times in seasons of anxiety. 
In fact, when my mind is anxious, it is almost like the norm of my mind, the default setting goes to Luke chapter 12, where it simply says this, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Can I just encourage you as I close this morning, whatever God has said, He is faithful to do. I encourage you, take these promises and say them until you believe them. Say them, say them, say them until you believe them. As we close, if you have anything that you would love to be prayed for, we would love to pray for you. In fact, we have so many people that come prayed up every single week. But as we close, what I'd love to do is if you are just open as a symbol of your desire to say, God, I want to trust you more, would you just open your hands as I pray a blessing over you that God would meet you exactly where you are? Father God, we thank you for your goodness. And I just pray that you would meet us exactly where we are. For those who are on fire, I pray you would fan into flame, fan into flame the life of the Spirit. For those who just feel disconnected and dry, I pray you would take what spark is there and you would ignite it and you would awaken us to new passion for you. I pray for those who are hurting, those who are grieving, I pray that even this morning, if they didn't hear anything else, I pray, in fact, the only thing they would hear is the comfort of God, the kindness of God, that you would let them know that that thing that they think is going to take them out, you're going to use in their life in a mighty way. And you can do that, God. We pray that for all of us, when we read your word, we would not read it as history, but we would read it as reality, as the promises that you have called us to deposit into our life. So God, I pray over everybody in all these categories we just read, I pray that as they open their hands that your confidence and your trust would flow from the Spirit. So God, we thank you. We love you. We thank you that this Christmas season we celebrate a God who comes to find us. And so it is in your amazing, mighty, wonderful name we pray. Everyone agreed and said, Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you, guys. We are grateful for you joining us today for the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. There is a daily devotional companion for the Jesus at the Center of Christmas series. This will help you spend time with God every day. You can find the daily devotional at church right after the Sunday services and on the Brookwood Church app. On the app, you'll notice you can now share the day's devotion you're reading with your friends and family through text messaging, email, or your social media. Coming up in our next episode, Jesus at the Center of Christmas, is a message called Protected by Parents. We'll see you next week.